Consider Tucker Carlson's final broadcast. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. For centuries... One of my colleagues here at Slate watched the whole thing and summed it up like this. Tucker Carlson's show died as it lived. So once again, they're using fake allegations of racism as a pretext for a political plan. What my colleague meant here was that Tucker Carlson's last broadcast was both mundane and alarming all at once. Carlson shamed Democrats for calling out racism. He compared transgender people to members of a cult. And he said Joe Biden wanted to import voters from cities to the suburbs. So you can't be safe in a leafy suburb anymore. It has to be urbanized. And even though Carlson was about to be yanked off the air, there was no sign that anything was amiss. That's it for us for the week. He ended his show by eating pizza with a guest and promoting a special he was hosting about elites forcing Americans to eat insects. And we'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, have the best weekend with the ones that you love, and we'll see you then. Nicole Hemmer can't help but agree. This final episode was somehow both totally normal and completely bonkers. She's a historian and podcaster, specializes in right-wing media. She used to record Tucker's show every night, just in case. Yeah, just kind of DVR it just to see what's going on. (laughs) Nicole looks back at this broadcast and sees a show that isn't just typical for Tucker. It's representative of a whole genre. Stoking anxiety about us versus them. It's a classic. Look, you know, those are the kinds of storylines, actually, interestingly, that you'll hear on other conservative outlets, too, right? That the there's a plot against the suburbs, which is actually a plot against white people, that um, all of these environmental regulations are actually a plot by George Soros in order to take away your cars and to unman you, uh, all these different sorts of things. So it is, it is very typical Tucker. It's interesting you're saying that the kinds of stuff Tucker Carlson talked about was typical because he really got the ratings. Like, what was his special sauce? So I think that the special sauce for Tucker Carlson was that he had this enormous platform. He was in a kind of mainstream conservative space. He was on Fox News. It drew viewers to him left and right, so much so that he was the most watched cable news show in history in 2020. You're saying what made Tucker Carlson special wasn't Tucker Carlson at all. Yeah, I mean, Tucker Carlson had flamed out on MSNBC and CNN in the past. Um, he he wasn't necessarily someone who was the most charismatic figure, but he had kind of figured out the message that his audience wanted to hear and the message that Fox News needed. Today on the show... Tucker Carlson was the messenger Fox News needed, until it didn't. So why did cable news' most inflammatory and influential host get the sack? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to go back in time a little bit because Tucker Carlson has been in the cable news business for more than 20 years. He's been at a bunch of different networks before he landed at Fox. Can you chart Tucker Carlson's arc a little bit? Like, what's his origin story? (laughs) Well, he really is kind of a political journalist who failed upwards in some ways. You know, he was in the 1990s. He was a writer for conservative magazines. Um, He had spent some time on MSNBC and on on CNN. He had been a replacement for Pat Buchanan on Crossfire. It's it's I would like I would like to hear it. And I'll tell you, when politicians come on, yeah, it's nice to get them to try and answer the question. And Mm -hmm. in order to do that, we try and ask them pointed questions. I want to contrast our questions with some questions you asked John Kerry. If if you want to if you want to compare your show to a comedy show, you're more than welcome to. No, no, here's here's yeah. I still remember the Tucker Carlson who always wore a bow tie. Yeah, no, he had this like very baby face. He would wear bow ties. You know, he's a an heir to a frozen fish sticks fortune. And so he he was kind of this funny character. And he even was a funny character when he got hired by Fox News because he used to be the weekend host of Fox and Friends. So the morning show. Is that a good job? I mean, it doesn't require a ton of work. Um, it's only on the weekends. It's like the goofiest show on Fox. That makes me sad. I forgot how much ritual humiliation there is on this show. And it's all good for your soul. This whole show is good for your soul. I've worked in TV for 20 years, worked at a lot of places with a lot of nice people. This is the nicest place I've ever worked. In fact, so it, it was kind of a goof in a kind of way. Yeah. I mean, I still remember when Tucker Carlson was on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) Right. Next. He has braved some of the most perilous situations in the world, but now his most intimidating assignment, dancing the cha-cha-cha on national television. It's political journalist Tucker Carlson and his professional partner, Elena Grenienko. I think it played into the idea that Carlson wasn't taken super seriously. He didn't have that kind of anchorman appearance. Um, and, you know, Fox really enjoys anchors who have that, that kind of appearance. Um, so... He was he was pretty unexpected as an emerging demagogue in 2016, 2017. And once he got to Fox, my understanding was that it was kind of like a last chance for him because he'd bounced around cable news for so many years. I mean, even Roger Ailes, the CEO of Fox, literally described it as a last chance for him. I mean, in many ways, he'd run out of places to land, right? He'd done CNN, he'd done MSNBC, he'd spent some time on PBS. As far as like a news television personality, he wasn't someone who was suddenly going to be anchoring like CBS News Tonight, right? He had one Hmm. last place where he could land other than like Newsmax or some sort of like off-brand cable news network. And so Fox really was his last chance and it required, you know, changing his image some. He loses the bow tie. Um, And then he tries to like figure out what persona or what personality he should have because, you know, the personality that he was on Fox and Friends is just, it's different from Tucker Carlson tonight. 
Well, it seems like Tucker Carlson's evolution was deeply shaped by Donald Trump, but he very much didn't want to be seen as being sycophantic to Donald Trump. So he instead decided to kind of take on things that he saw were working for Trump as a candidate, but not the candidate himself. Yeah, this was such a smart move because the show that came on right after him, Hannity, really was like, this show is going to be the mouthpiece of the Trump campaign and the Trump administration. Um, Hannity was going to talk to Donald Trump every night on the phone and relay his message to the masses during the day and then on his show. But for Carlson, he really wanted to be the voice of the base. He wanted to be the person who had enough distance from Trump that he could criticize Trump whenever... As president, Trump was compromising or not fulfilling his promises. And so it was a really smart move, a savvy move by Carlson to put himself in that slightly distanced position, which allowed him to talk more about issues, which allowed him not to get caught up in the kind of wildness around Donald Trump and his um, tweets and all these different things that he could actually dig into some of these issues. And he was presenting to his audience views about foreign policy. Um, so he he had a more um, come home America foreign policy, um, an America first foreign policy. Why do I hate Putin so much? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Has he shipped every middle class job in my town to Russia? He, he would talk to his audience a lot about sexuality, about race, about migrants. There was a lot on his show, particularly in the first few years of the Trump administration, about how immigrants coming to America are dirty and they make the country poorer. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. And he was really hitting all of the kind of emotional notes of Donald Trump's own nativism and xenophobia for his audience. And that worked really well. Yeah. There, the New York Times did this reporting where they basically talked about how Carlson and his producers were obsessed with the minute-by-minute minute ratings of his show and Fox generally. And they could see when people were tuning in and tuning out. How did that shape the product? like what the show became? Because it seems to me that it got much darker as the years went on. It, it absolutely did because it zeroed in on the issues that got people the most emotional, right? What what was it that made people angry? What was it that made people scared? What got them to tune in night after night? And it was these more fear-based and angry kinds of topics, the ones where Tucker Carlson was out there saying, they are coming after you, and I'm going to explain to you their conspiracies, and I'm going to explain to you the way they hoard power, and I'm going to explain to you how they're going to attack you next, how they're going to attack your bank accounts, how they're going to attack your children, how they're coming for your guns, how they're trying to replace you as white people. In order to win and maintain power, Democrats plan to change the population of the country. Why are people who have taxpayer-funded bodyguards demanding that the rest of us disarm immediately? They don't I care about the actual environment. They care about controlling the rest of us. The point is to disarm you, to strip you of your autonomy, your power. They want to control what you do. And of course, they want to control your children, too. Often when we talk about conservative media, we talk about something like Fox News or Tucker Carlson as if they're brainwashing these masses, when in fact they're very sensitive to give the audience what they want. And the audience wanted this darker and um, more nationalistic and more racist content. 
after the break, how Tucker went as far as he did for as long as he did, and what may have finally got him yanked off the air. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To an outside observer, the first sign that things were not quite right between Tucker Carlson and his bosses came as Dominion voting systems took Fox News to court this spring. In Discovery, Carlson's direct messages got made public, and in them, he called his bosses incompetent liberals. He said executives were destroying the network's credibility by airing accurate reporting that Joe Biden had won the 2020 election. But even then, Carlson seemed to be a golden goose, so sheltered by the network that he didn't even have to come into work. Not really. Fox built him his own studio in rural Maine so he could stay in his vacation home. Carlson cultivated a close relationship with Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan, too. But in the end, Nicole Hemmer says, all that didn't seem to matter. Yeah, I mean, this is where we start to get into a real-life episode of Succession because it dives into some of the odd family dynamics happening within the Murdoch family. Lachlan Murdoch has been much more of an advocate for this populist, nativist, far-right turn that the channel has taken. He believes that that's the future of Fox News. His brother, James Murdoch, is seems offended by Fox News's content and was pretty outspoken against it and against Donald Trump um, in 2017. And then you have Rupert Murdoch, who kind of shifts sides um, from time to time. Sometimes he's on Team James, sometimes he's on Team Lachlan, sometimes he's kind of hands off. But it's interesting because Lachlan was, you know, he and he and Tucker Carlson were bros. When you say they were bros, like, what do you mean? Like, did they literally hang? I think that they just hung out. Like, I think they're members of the same elite class. And that relationship was really important for Carlson to cultivate precisely because there was a kind of instability within the Murdoch empire um, that Lachlan was vying for his future and Carlson was vying for his. Did you have any sense that this firing was coming? I mean, we had seen all of these damning texts from Tucker Carlson come out with the Dominion lawsuit. But were you ever thinking like, you know, this just can't stand? I had zero sense that this was coming, in large part because Carlson is so important to the identity of Fox News and to its reputation among 
the the MAGA base among among Trump supporters. And that was a relationship that had been under a lot of strain for Fox News, right? Fox loses a lot of credibility with the MAGA crowd after calling the 2020 election. And Carlson was really important to bringing that crowd back. He brings it back, not only by airing some of these conspiracy theories about the 2020 election, but particularly by defending the January 6th insurrection, by you know putting out the line that the people who were arrested were actually political prisoners. Those kinds of storylines on Carlson's show were really important for winning back this MAGA base. And at a moment when... Ron DeSantis is looking weak. It's looking more and more like Donald Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024. Um, Carlson seemed pretty important for keeping the audience connected to Fox News. Yeah, it's interesting because in the wake of this news, Brian Stelter, the media critic, he tweeted out something that I thought was interesting. He said, you know, at some point, Tucker Carlson became bigger than Fox News. And I wonder if in some ways that was the beginning of the end. Like (laughs) when you're bigger than your employer, you become more dangerous to your employer. I think that's exactly right. And actually, it's another reason why I'm so surprised that they let him go. Because Tucker Carlson inside the house can make noises about, oh, you know, Fox News is corporate media, um, or he can attack corporate news and and things like that. But he's on the platform. And so it it lacks the kind of weight that it might have if he, say, goes to Newsmax or goes to Rumble um, or has some sort of independent outlet after this and now is attacking Fox from outside. Like that's that seems like all the more reason to keep him inside. It makes him it makes him a danger. It makes him difficult to control. And Fox News is particularly sensitive to the many lawsuits that their talent could invite because they've paid out so much based on that. Um, But it seems like one of those you know, keep your enemies closer situations. Instead, they've made Carlson, I think, potentially quite angry. And we'll see how he responds in the in the days and weeks ahead. So on Monday morning, when Fox made this awkward statement that Tucker Carlson wouldn't be returning to the airwaves, the impact was pretty immediate. Like Fox News lost $600 million in market value. How does this show's cancellation change the business calculus for Fox? So on the one hand, when they put a new person in at the eight o'clock hour, that person will probably attract advertisers, which is something that Carlson, as you've mentioned, had had lost because of the, the type of content that he put out and how controversial he was. So this is a chance to maybe replenish some revenue. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars instantly with new talent there. But it is a chance to try to bring back some uh, some advertisers and bring back some money. But you know, $600 million is a lot. It's a lot uh, the week after you lost $787 million. Um, so Fox, it, it will be interesting to see how Fox adapts to its new reality, that its, you know, its shareholders are not happy that it is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to settle sexual harassment suits, to settle um, defamation claims. And there is going to be a kind of reckoning. And perhaps Tucker Carlson's firing is part of that reckoning. We don't quite know yet. Yeah. I mean, there's been so much speculation about why Fox News parted ways with Tucker Carlson so quickly. I mean, there are basically two theories. Like one is that Tucker made Fox look bad. All these texts came out as part of the Dominion voting systems lawsuit. And he he just it just didn't look good. Um, He he seemed to be kind of 
saying one thing on screen and another thing off screen. But then there's the theory that, you know, Carlson and Fox were facing litigation from a former producer named Abby Grossberg, who had alleged that, you know, the environment at Tucker Carlson's show was incredibly sexist, which wasn't really a surprise. You know, it, it isn't a surprise, the revelations of Grossberg's lawsuit. Carlson behaved in in sexist and discriminatory ways um, when he was off camera, but he also behaved the same way on camera. So it's not a surprise that that bled over into the workplace. And we've seen texts from him that are pretty vulgar and pretty crass about women and their appearance. I'm a little less convinced um, that you know, finding out that Tucker Carlson doesn't like Donald Trump was the coup de grace for him. He and uh, Trump seemed to heal their relationship in an interview uh, shortly thereafter. So I do think that it has more to do with some combination of these lawsuits and then also potentially a, a personal break that he had with Rupert Murdoch. You know, you're a historian, so I just wonder if you, there's any historical analogy you want to bring in here. I just don't know if there's something that, that's on your mind as you watch this play out where you just think like, oh, this is a timeline we could all be about to go down. I I just think a lot these days about Pat Buchanan, somebody who really built his national reputation in the media as first a columnist. And then he was on Crossfire on CNN. He was on the McLaughlin Group on PBS in the 1980s. And he turned that into a series of presidential runs, um, attempts to get the presidential nomination. Ultimately, each failed, but he was able to pull the Republican Party to the right in pretty dramatic ways, including, you know, he was the, the first one out there calling for a wall between the U.S. and Mexico. Carlson could, if he wanted to, emerge as a political figure that continues to pull the party to the right. But I think he's already doing that. I mean, that's the difference is that now, you know, as opposed to in the early 90s, conservative media is so powerful that Carlson didn't need to run for office in order to make the Republican Party more extreme. He was able to do that from that studio in Maine. Nicole, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Nicole Hemmer is the director of the Rogers Center for the Study of the Presidency at Vanderbilt University. Her latest book is called Partisans, The Conservative Revolutionaries Who Remade American Politics in the 1990s. And that's our show. Big thanks to Natish Pawa for his article about Tucker Carlson's last show. It was super helpful as I wrote this episode. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are getting a ton of support these days from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. <laughs> 